It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's been a tumultuous two weeks at Manchester United and two games where the team have peppered the opposition's goal with shots and with chances and with penalty shootouts and all sorts of things. And Manchester United are out of the FA Cup. We've drawn to the bottom Premier League team and yet there are definitely some things to be positive about. Perhaps having been beaten by a championship team and Premier League relegation favourites, still somehow two of our best performances of the season in a very odd way. So welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, where we try to decide where the balance is between positive and negative over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this is Series 7, Episode 23, with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate, as always. And Jack, let's dive in straight away. How are you viewing these last two games, positive or negative? I mean, obviously negative in the short term. I mean, we're out of the FA Cup. Just gave up fourth place to West Ham, who obviously won on the same day that we drew with Burnley. So, I mean, you can't, you can't really come out of the, the last four or five days and, and say that it's been good. I think for the long term, it is more positive than negative, though, because I think, you know, these were, especially both of the first halves, our two best halves under Ralph Ranić. I think we've created so many chances I think if we'd have, you know, played both of those games 20 times over, we comfortably would have won probably four or five nil in both of them. And a combination of some bad finishing, a little bit of bad luck, and then some poor second half performances have combined to leave us with, with a loss and a draw from those two great performances. So short term, terrible, long term, pretty good is how I'd sum it up. Yeah, I think, I mean the nature of these questions where there's obviously not one right answer and obviously not, you, you can't go one way the, the entire way. I didn't, I certainly didn't agree with the, a lot of the take after the Burnley game last night, we recorded on Wednesday afternoon was how about the, the players attitude problems and how they just didn't have the mentality to cope with going down. And I didn't agree with that for two reasons and uh, people have every right to be frustrated. And there certainly is a point about the, the fragility of this team when faced with a bit of a challenge, when the, when the apple cart is upset midway through a game, when a good performance doesn't quite, we don't reap the rewards from it. And then suddenly we're, we're thrown into a, a drawing scenario or a losing scenario, but two things. A, we showed ourselves to be an amazing team to come from behind last season. We still were the same players. And B, I ultimately think 
we've had two games in a row where we've predominantly shown exactly what we want to see except for finishing. And even then, with a couple of, with in particular three big refereeing decisions against us, but also a couple of others, um, without those going against us, we'd be continuing in the FA Cup and we could have absolutely thrashed Burnley. These are two, especially if we narrow it down to the first half, these are two kind of 4-0, 5-0 performances that the team have put out, or at least Ralph Rennick has created the situations for those scorelines to happen. And yet we've, we've drawn them 1-1. Going forward, you'd have to hope that that trend, it, 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 you'd have to hope that that trend resulted in a couple of comfortable wins in the next few weeks. That being said, obviously the opposition's getting a little bit harder, but I, I'm, I'm coming out of these relatively positive, maybe just to save myself from the depression of the fact that there's only one thing to play for now and it's the one of the hardest club competitions in the world, the Champions League. Yeah, I th- I, like I said, it's hard to come out of this feeling too great about this team because we have ultimately just lost to Middlesbrough and gone out of the FA Cup and drawn to a not very good Burnley team. But... I do think that if if we keep putting in performances like we did, especially in those first halves, you know, there is only good things to come for this team. We've had 70 shots over our last <laughs> three games, if you include the West Ham game before the, the mini break as well. And we've scored three goals in that time. Oh, yeah. You know, three goals out of 70 shots. That is absolutely ridiculous. And as much as we were critical a couple of months ago of, you know, this team being greedy and sort of shooting for any chance they got, that hasn't been the case in those three games either. They are... 70 shots from, you know, decent opportunities to score and we've somehow contrived to only score three goals. I think that isn't that isn't going to repeat itself too often over the next couple of months. I think the trend under under Ranić is going in the right direction. I think the just the concerning thing for me is not I don't think that we're sort of mentally that fragile or anything like like that. Like you said Harry, this is still the same group of players that became so good at making comebacks until very very recently. I think the, the slightly more concerning thing is that as, as positive as we can be from the fact that we've had two very good first halves in a row, slightly worrying that we've repeated an almost carbon copy of the second half against both Middlesbrough and Burnley. And so that is the worry that that becomes something that we repeat. Yeah. But I think the signs are there that we are starting to move in the right direction. It's just a case of becoming more consistent because we still are so inconsistent within games. Yeah, exactly. You, you hope... Well, the hope after the Middlesbrough game that we was that we would learn our lesson and we didn't against Burnley. And that was a real shame. And the second half, if, if we take the start to the second half, it kind of summed up a lot of the smaller problems, I think. It didn't, I don't think the second half against Burnley showed us some massive overarching problem at United in terms of mentality. I think what it showed was more kind of the profile of the players we have. I think that was our best starting lineup against Burnley available. Um, and I think that showed in the first half with the fluidity to our play and the chances created. But the first 10 minutes of the second half showed us the problems with the profile of players in that team. Uh, people like Bruno Fernandes and Paul Popper, who were brilliant in the first half, but they're, they're not good at controlling the tempo and the pace of the game. And that's what led to kind of this Burnley onslaught. It gave, first day, we gave away the ball a few times, the crowd, the Burnley home support got going again. Then the players feel like they've got a little bit of bite to the game. They sense that there's an opening there and suddenly the momentum of the game shifts and that kind of, you can never quantify momentum and that's why it's such a, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about and to 
decide how much of an impact it has. But I think we all know, every football fan knows that momentum is that one that one thing in football that you can't measure, but is so massively important. And we lost it and Burnley gained it and, and suddenly we, we were out of the game for a bit. Yeah, just immediately coming out of the, the gate in the second half, we just we were a little bit slower to every ball. We allowed Burnley to sort of get that foothold in the game, which in fairness, we hadn't allowed them to, to gain any sort of foothold in the game in the first half. We were completely dominant. And the mystery really is just that we haven't been able to to put those together. We still, I don't think under Ranić have seen a full 90 minute performance where everything is, or most things are good. You know, we've had really good spells under Ranić, but in every game there's been at least, you know, at least a, at least sort of 20 minutes or so, if not a whole half where we've looked just really off it. And that's a problem that's been happening, not just under Ranić, he goes back to when Solskjaer was in charge as well. This is a team that, it it does just seem to lurch, not from game to game, but within games from, you know, very, very good to very, very bad. It was, I think, telling that in both the Middlesbrough and the Burnley game, it was odd, It was so odd and very telling, I think, that having been so good at creating chances in the first half, when we, when we then needed to again in the second, it completely dried up and the creativity seemed to go. And it, at times it feels like this team it too easily goes into sort of panic and desperation mode. And that's a little bit of what I felt in the second half of both of those matches. Because in the first half, when I guess the stakes are a little bit lower and things are a little bit more in control, you know, we look like we can carve teams open at will. And with the talent that we have on the pitch, that's not a huge surprise. But in the second half, we sort of reverted a little bit back to our old ways of, I think just trying to do too much too quickly with the ball. Yeah, And as soon as we get it into anywhere, anywhere near the box, it's, it's okay, lump the ball in or shoot. And it, it, you just need to have, have a bit more finesse. And like I said, we've, we've proven that we can do it because we've, we've done it for a combined total of 90 minutes for the first halves against both Burnley and Middlesbrough. It's just a, it's a mystery at the moment that this team isn't able to produce the same thing over 90 minutes instead. And yeah. the, the reasons behind that, I, I don't really know, but I think it's, it's, also it's something a- that has been plagued us for a long time. Yeah, but there must be a, I don't know whether it's communication or, or, kind of self-belief or whether the players are only kind of three quarters convinced by the Radnick method at the moment. But you look after it. So firstly, the goal, as we've kind of just outlined, the goal's caused by that kind of constant loss of possession. We panic. And even if it's not panicking, we just, there's no one who says, right, there's no leader in that team or, or person with the right attributes, the right profile to set, to calm it down and, and control possession for a bit and quieting things down, regain some control. But then also, as, as you're pointing out there, we panic when we're level and we need to score a goal and we don't have that player who can control the tempo of the game. And what was really frustrating is once we did regain some control on the game, probably 20, 25 minutes into the second half, you then saw a completely different a completely different kind of set of patterns of attack than the first half, which was so successful. Instead of what we saw in the first half, you saw kind of four attackers on the shoulder of the defence, all waiting for a lofted ball over the top. And we saw that under Solskjaer and it didn't work. And we saw it under Rangnick at the start and it didn't work. And this time we hadn't done that and it had worked in the first half against uh, against Burnley and against Middlesbrough, but we reverted to it. And yet, as I say, I don't know whether that's down to self-belief or uh, a lack of communication from uh, touchline to on the pitch or a lack of leader on the pitch to say, hold on, what, what are we doing? Just go back to what we were doing before. It was working. Um, there isn't that, that kind of self-belief to say, no, we, we did everything right in the first half. We just were unlucky not to score more than one goal. 
let's do it again and we'll win this game. We'll be absolutely fine. I always, the lesson I'll always go back to, I've probably brought up on here three or four times over the last few years is the, the Ferguson thing of you don't panic until, you don't need to panic until the 90th minute. You just carry on doing what you're doing. Believe that you are better than the opposition and you will score if you do things right. And United definitely didn't do that. First half was great, but there was, yeah, it was it was that post regaining a control. You just thought, no, that's, come on, just do things as you were doing in the first half, have some belief and you'll succeed. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's strange because, as you said, said, maybe it's something about the players sort of not being fully convinced by Ragnick's me- methods yet, but... Coming off the pitch 1-0 up after, after a performance like we'd put in in the first half against Burnley and Middlesbrough, it's hard not to be, maybe not convinced, but it's hard not to at least be confident in sort of going out there and repeating that again. You know, that is really, I feel like if a, if a team isn't convinced yeah. by a manager's methods, the, way, the, the time when that really shows up is when they're down and they need to be inspired by the manager, you know, and the manager just can't really get through to the players when his methods have just proven to completely dominate a team in the first half, you know, that should be a time when the players actually are sort of the most convinced they're ever going to be by what he's doing. I, I, I wonder if it's a bit of complacency. I wonder if it's just a little bit of a lack of concentration coming out at the start of the second half. I, I really can't understand how it can keep repeating like this because this isn't the first time that we've seen this. It isn't always the first half, second half sort of clean split yeah. but you know it's a it's a repeated phenomenon that this team can be the, so inconsistent within the same game yeah I thought the interesting example I saw someone compared to on Twitter was the uh, Villa away game the 2-2 draw yeah where very similar we went 1-0 up and had really dominated and should have led by a couple but we didn't and it was slightly different in that obviously we then scored again later on but it was the same idea of we didn't capitalise on that early pressure by going more than one goal ahead and we really paid the price for it um, and to be fair and going more than two goals ahead because Villa are a better team than Burnley but yeah it, it it felt too familiar and it's difficult to know what the root cause of that is it is but I think I, th- I think there's a lot of positivity around the general sentiment around Rannick is very positive isn't it it's that yeah. we can see he's doing the right things he's making the right decisions I really like the fact he came out pre-game and was asked by MUTV about um why Cavani started over Ronaldo, it would have been really easy to say, well, I've just rested him. He played 120 minutes against Middlesbrough. But no, he said Cavani starts this game because he's better suited to the game. He's going to run and put pressure on them. And it, he was better suited to the game. And I like the fact he just said that and, yeah. and didn't bow to the the pressure of having Cristiano Ronaldo in the dressing room, who has actually had a, a concerningly bad week in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, I think Ranić really is doing everything he can. I, I don't think you can really fault him for much of what's happened in the last five days or so, because I, actually he has set, set teams up very, very well for the opposition, you know, got us playing in a way that is very clearly a progression of where we've been. And it's, a, it's unlucky both for him and for the players that, you know, the finishing hasn't come off. We've been on the wrong end of some refereeing decisions that could have gone either way. I think there's a, a host of things, but I think actually... You've got to say, I, I am more convinced about Ranić's ability to move us forward in the next four or five months or so than I have been probably at any time during his tenure so far. Because what I'm seeing, I, I've said this so many times before on the podcast, is that I don't expect perfection. You know, us drawing 1-1 with Burnley in isolation 
It's a disappointing result. It's not the end of the world. You know, plenty of teams are going to have bad results like that. Even United's best teams slip up. But what I do expect as a, as a fan and as someone who really cares about this team is two things. One, seeing a plan, seeing there is something that we are trying to do, trying to build. And two, that you see progress. Now, now, progress doesn't mean that every single game has to be better than the last, but it means over a long period of time, you see that a team is moving forward. And actually, I've got to say, I do see both of those things at the moment in this team. It's not perfect. It's far from perfect, as the results are showing. You know, in the last three games, I mentioned we've had 70 shots, but we've also needed a 94th minute winner to get past West Ham. Then we've lost to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup and drawn with Burnley. You know, it's not perfect and it's not going to be perfect, but I can see that we are sort of moving forward. I think we are a far better team now than we were when Solskjaer was sacked, for example. And I think that says a lot about where we're potentially going. We're, we're Brighton. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's who we've become. Graham Raniuk in charge. Yeah, which, uh, I, mean, I mean, in a tiny way as a compliment, in a slightly bigger way as a concern, um, I do think this will turn around pretty quickly and suddenly our, our very good finishes will start finishing goals again. But also, I think what's particularly unfortunate is that the, I mean, listen, the Middlesbrough game was bad finishing. I don't think the Burnley game was bad finishing. We had the ball in the back of the net three times. Two goals were disallowed. One for a strange offside decision, which I understand, but basically disagree with. And in fact, completely disagree with because of various subjective things, but we don't need to get into them. And the second four, very soft foul. We had the ball at the back of the net three times. We probably should have scored three goals in that half. I think that's fair to say. Probably four with the Cavani miss on basically on the line as well. But that was a brilliant save. I don't think Cavani could have done anything different there. That was a, maybe he could have bundled in. At, I think he Pope. could have flung himself yeah. at it a bit earlier. And then maybe he'd win the penalty even if he missed. Um yeah, perhaps, but I, I did. I've, I've watched the replay of that and thought, wow, that's that's just great goal. Like slightly fortunate because it comes off his knee and doesn't go like over his knee or anything. But that's great goalkeeping. He, he kind of deserved to make that save. So I think we should have gone in three and up, and we did score three times. It's just on the very, very fine margins of kind of much reviewed refereeing decisions, they were not allowed. So I think the Middlesbrough game was bad finishing. The Burnley game wasn't, which makes me think we should be able to, this should now be an upward curve and 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 we should see, in terms of, there are lessons to be learned in the second half, but in terms of our finishing, I wasn't that concerned against Burnley, whereas I, I very much was against Middlesbrough. Yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough was one of the worst examples I've, I've maybe ever seen from a United team of finishing. I think it was the first time since records began, right, that we missed seven, seven yeah. big chances in, in a in a game, which yeah, is beyond belief. ridiculous. I mean, just watching it back, it was, yeah, it was just so frustrating. But the fact that we're getting into those positions is really what is important for the long term. And like I said, despite the fact that results are far from perfect, there is something to be said for the way that the direction that this team is trending in, because I think it is on the up. I think we are starting to build something. It seems like we've finally got a settled formation under Ranić, at least the way we start, it yeah. sort of shifts in game. At times it becomes 4-2-3-1. At times it becomes more of the 4 triple 2 as we've had before. But I think, you know, with that midfield three with Fernandez as more of a traditional eight, I think we are starting to build more towards something that feels more sustainable. Yeah. I think, yeah, let's, let's talk about the system and formation in a second. But first, we've somehow got 20 minutes in without talking about Jaden Sancho. I do really want to talk about because he was brilliant. 
he was so good and like really exciting seeing him play that well and just absolutely have his fullback on toast. Connor Roberts was just twisted inside out. There was a moment, I think, and, and a moment where it wasn't Connor Roberts as well. It was um, Tarkovsky in the 54th or 55th minute or something. And just Sancho turned him inside and outside and back inside three times, just absolutely twisted him into cream. It was amazing to watch. You just thought, oh God, this is a kid with real talent and, and it's great to watch. And beyond the, like forgetting stats and, and how much impact he had on the game, just fun watching him play on the wing for United, really. Yeah, Sancho was, it was just, it was so much fun to watch him, honestly. That was just what I was getting. Every time he got the ball, I felt excited that something was about to happen. And that is just, we, there aren't many players that sort of give you that feeling. And Sancho is definitely one of them, just because even in, even in some of his worst games for United so far, there's been moments where you just see his quality, you see his skill. And I mean, <laughs> His close control is is something genuinely to behold. His first touch, the way he brings the ball down, is absolutely brilliant. And the way the way he's able to keep the ball so close to himself as he as he moves to take on a defender, and then quickly he's able to shift the ball. It's a lot of what he does is quite simple, but it's so the the way he does it is so quick and it's so unexpected, and he can go both ways. It's so hard to defend. And yeah, you're right. That moment in the far corner and the, towards the beginning of the second half when he just had Tarkovsky. You know, he had no idea which way he was going and ended up with him megging yeah. him and then laying it back to shore, I think. Yeah, that was it's just fun. It's just fun to watch. And sometimes in football you just need players like that. Obviously, the sort of challenge now is to I think integrate him a little bit more with the other players because it's still to me when I watch us at the moment, Sancho still feels a little bit like he's operating in a in a silo to some degree. I don't think he's quite got the link up with with the other players sort of figured out quite yet. And I think we saw that even against Burnley when he was so good, it was still, you know, being able to sort of have some of the, the good interplay with the likes of Rashford and Fernandez and Cavani is still lacking a touch. Yeah. But I think we're starting to see him grow into the player that we thought we were buying from Dortmund and the player that he is. That's it, he, isn't it? I mean, he's it's, just brilliant. Yeah. The, these last two games have kind of met our expectations of the fun we thought we'd had we'd have with, with Sancho. Yeah, exactly. And in fairness, he said at the start of the season, we're not expecting Sancho to immediately come in and light up the Premier League. He's 21. He hadn't played in the Premier League before. He'd obviously played at City, but he hadn't made a Premier League appearance before. Um, he'd done fantastically in the Bundesliga, but he'd had good periods and bad periods, not bad periods, but quieter periods at, at Borussia Dortmund. Um, so it was clear he wasn't going to come in and just light things up straight away. And he's he's taken a bit of time. It's obviously been quite a, a tumultuous time at the club as well with big defeats and uh, three managers and, and lots going on. But he's he's settled and he's come back into the team now in February. And yeah, looks how we thought. I think we, I can't remember what months we said we thought he'd come in good, but I think it might have been February. So I think a pat on the back for, for us both there. Um, <laughs> but uh, going to your point in, in terms of, linking up with teammates um, looks a lot better with Pogba and Shaw than he does with Fred and Tellers, which isn't entirely yeah. surprising. Um, and that Pogba-Sancho link-up's exciting. Um, I'm hesitant to get too excited over anything involving Paul Pogba because I think he'll, I, th- I think he'll leave um, probably, uh, but also he's not someone you can rely upon to a, 
be completely consistent, but be yours and not be injured. Um, but yeah, the link up with Shaw as well looks good, and that will just improve and improve. Yeah. I think as should, uh, they I, should. It seems now that will be a very very set left wing. Obviously, Rashford and Sancho swap between left and right during the game, but that should be the starting left flank going forward every game now. Yeah, and I think Shaw in particular makes such a huge difference because Tellers. I mean, the, Tellers' mo is crosses into the box, and so you're, what you see when he <laughs> yeah. plays as our left back is he. He doesn't make the sort. Of, he doesn't make the runs going past the winger very often because he prefers to sort of stay a little bit deeper, have the ball yeah. set back to him, to then whip in a first time cross. You know that is Tellez's MO, and he's a very good cross for the ball. You know that is his game. But Shaw is very different. He's much more willing to get beyond the winger, make those runs in behind. It's where the goal came from. Sancho playing the ball into Shaw with the pullback, and then to Pogba from the byline. But there were numerous other occasions during the game where Shaw goes past Sancho which A, gives Sancho an option to lay it into Shaw, which he did a couple of times, especially in the first half. But it also just creates so much more space because he drags... Often Sancho is getting doubled up by the winger and the fullback, especially against teams like Burnley who are sitting back. And so if you have Shaw making a third-man run going beyond the ball, it takes one of those guys away and then Sancho's one-on-one. I back Sancho to beat almost any defender in the world one-on-one. Yeah. You know, when he's playing at his best. So He can beat two. He can beat two or three at a time. Yeah, exactly. You know, not only is Shaw just a better player than, than Tellez, but it, his style suits Sancho down to the ground because it means Sancho can get an isolated situation. So when he isolates someone, then, you know, he's got him on toast, basically. Yeah. And one of the big things going forward for this team from a tactical perspective will be creating the teammates, helping Sancho to create those situations where he can isolate his defender. Yeah. Um, and that that's down to specific trained kind of patterns of play of when do we overload the left? When do we overload the right? And which midfielder comes across where do Bruno and Pogba drift into or drift out to where does, which run does Shaw make? Does he hold or does he go forward? And it's for, for brains larger and better than mine in a footballing sense to, to work that out and, and, and experiment and see what works. And, and that's what I think we'll see over the next few weeks. So we'll probably see, some games where his influence is lesser and some where it's much more. But realistically, he scored his first Old Trafford goal um, against Middlesbrough uh, and then man of the match against Burnley. But he kind of deserved a lot more than that. He got the goal he deserved, but he probably deserved at least two assists out of those games. Um, Yeah. And he's quite a numbers-driven person, so he would have wanted that. But... I think everyone will know, including him, that his performance has been excellent and his confidence will be so much bigger now. And you can see that in his, um, not just in the way that he takes people on, but also his decision-making in that he's not rushing a shot when it's not on. A couple of times against Burnley, we saw him just, the, the shot wasn't on, so he just came back and kept possession and United kept the ball and kept the pressure up, which was one of the good things against Burnley that we haven't seen all too often this season, that, that kind of patience around the box. Yeah, in the first half, the way we, we shifted the ball was really good. It was something I noticed in the Middlesbrough game too. And I think having Pogba in midfield helped with that, both around the box and and deeper yeah. as well. I, I just thought we, we moved the ball a lot quicker than we usually do. I think quite often with Fred and McTominay in midfield, the game just becomes quite slow because even, even when they're doing simple things, it, it everything just seems to take a little bit longer than it should. And especially when you're playing against teams that are going to sit back like Burnley and to a lesser extent Middlesbrough yeah. did, you know, moving the ball quickly is, is it's, so, it's, so important because it's, sorry, it's, it's two things in it. It's a, the way you no, receive no. the ball. It's like how good that first touch is. Do you receive it on the turn? Do you open your body up? But then the second thing is, are you, are you a good enough passer that you can bypass 
a player with your pass. And we saw that a couple of times against Burnley. We saw, yeah. um, I mean, it was all the players to be fair, but instead of kind of, instead of going all the way through the back four with one pass from right back to centre back, centre back, centre back, centre back to left back, it's, can you just switch play immediately yeah. or miss one of those links in the chain? And that's when you're a good team. And it it's also where really, really minute differences in the accuracy of your pass make a huge difference. Because if, if I'm Pogba receiving the ball from Shaw and wanting to play it out to Darlow, great. You know, you shifted the ball quickly. Like you said, you've missed out sort of some links in that chain, managed to put it out to the right side quickly. But if my ball is at Darlow's feet rather than a few yards in front of him so he can run onto it, you know, that gives Burnley an extra two or three seconds because Darlow has to stop, get the ball out of his feet himself instead of being able to run onto it and the ball already being yeah. there. And it, at this at this level, those sort of minute differences in accuracy of a pass where it's still accurate, where, whichever one it is, but whether it's at your feet or slightly in front of you actually makes a huge difference to the picture that Darlow's going to have when he picks up the ball. You know, that is re- really the difference between having, let's say, Corne in this in this case, right in his face if he has to take the touch and get it out of his feet or having five yards of space in front of him if the ball's in front of him and he can run onto it. And I just, I mean, fundamentally, Pogba is better on the ball than Fred or McTominay, and so he's more likely to make those accurate passes. But I also think he has a better picture of the game in front of him as well. Because I think what we often find with guys like Fred and McTominay is that they receive the ball, they look up, they sort of scan if there's a pass forward, and then if not, yeah. the ball goes out to the, to the fullback. Whereas, obviously, what you want in a midfielder yeah. is to have that picture of what's in front of you as you're receiving the ball, then you know immediately, okay, there's no forward pass. It goes out to the right straight away. And yeah, so I, the player I, we always think of for that quality, I think the, the, the best ever at that was Xavi in that. Yeah. Like the, he is the example to everyone else's of, of the great kind of the great midfield scanner who knew everything around him a second before the ball came. To yeah. Him. I mean, there are those great videos of, of Xavi and Iniesta to be fair, where if you have a camera just trained on them and I think yeah. once it got clocked they were doing like sort of 25 checks over their shoulder in, in a single you, minute of a game I don't know if you ever do a England uh, a kind of FA run coaching course that's the videos you get shown of that's what you should be teaching yeah. your players it's, it's like one of the key parts of the the England DNA that they've been training for the last like 15 years at St George's Park and why you get players like Phil Foden and and, and and the like. And it's how as a midfielder you can be really effective doing very simple things. Like Xavi wasn't, that's going to sound terrible, but Xavi wasn't particularly skillful. He didn't do anything that was particularly <laughs> crazy when he had the ball, but everything he did could happen at a much faster pace than anyone else because he knew what was happening in the game around him all the time. Well, I mean, if we, yeah, if we need our own example in Paul's goals, is yeah. that uh, of course there were the assists like uh, the little chip for Rooney against uh, AC Milan in what 2007 that amazing yeah, that yeah, first yeah. time kind of little chip over the defence of course there were moments like that and of course there were those amazing Hollywood pink passes but the real qualities of Scholes was that you could just rely on him to do everything right apart from tackling in terms of in terms <laughs> of possession you could always rely on him to show for the ball if you ever had the ball as a United player you could always be sure that Paul Scholes was going to be available and pass to him get yourself out of trouble and when he did receive it you could be sure he was going to keep it and just keep things ticking over. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's a slightly depressing thought because I always find that when, when I see highlights at the moment, you just think, God, oh, we were good, weren't we? Which is a very Liverpool thing to think, but that's who we're becoming. To, to, to quickly, to quickly segue this back to our, our current midfield, my last point is that um, after the January transfer window, in, as, as well as just not signing anyone last summer, 
our midfield depth is is really know, yeah. really bad at the moment. You know, towards the end of the game, Fred is obviously out with COVID. McTominay had a bit of a knock and needed to come off. And we have no midfield option on the bench. Lingard had to come on and Pogba had to drop in yeah. as number six. You know, it, it really takes one or two injuries and our midfield is pretty much decimated. Yeah, it's, but it's partly because Pogba's role has become very much non-midfield. Like as in, I think we all, we've all finally changed how we see him. Yeah, like he's definitely, definitely a, not a six. Yeah, exactly. So that's already taken one away. Uh, the, the last couple of things I'll quickly want to point out. First, well, firstly on Sancho, uh, I think we saw the kind of impact of him on a defensive side of things yesterday as well. First half, Sancho was on the left. You see absolutely nothing of Conor Roberts because he just couldn't go forward because he'd be scared of Sancho. Second half, Sancho and Rashford switch and suddenly you're seeing a lot more attacks down the Burnley's right wing. Um, then it switches again and Sancho is back on the left wing and suddenly we get a bit of control back in the game. And I thought that was an interesting that Sancho pushes his defenders back um, because they're scared of him, which is what Rashford also often does, but is in slightly less good form than Sancho. So, and, and had shown it slightly less in the game. So that's obviously in a defender's head. Yeah. That being said, quite enjoying Rashford on the right. He can still shoot well from there, still does shoot too much, but he's better suited there for creating chances, I think. Uh, which is good. Um, yeah. Anything else? I mean, we've got two <laughs> quite important games, Southampton and Brighton, two difficult games. Uh, we'll probably record after Southampton, but because it's another Saturday, um, Tuesday game, we might be recording after Brighton instead. But yeah, two big games, but also a big chance to kind of climb up the league table with six points. Um, two victories at home would would be really good after these two results and and we kind of have to win them both really yeah we do we do and it you know we're at a slight disadvantage in terms of how many games we've played compared to Arsenal and Tottenham who have I think Arsenal have two and Spurs have three games in hand on us but the one advantage that you have is that you can at least sort of get points on the board and put pressure on them to actually have to go and win those games in hand and if we can get six points out of the next few you know that it puts a lot of pressure on Arsenal and Spurs to actually have to win the games in hand that they do have. And I, I think this top four race is, is going to be a bit of a mess until the end of the season because I don't think any of the teams, if, it seems like it's down to four with us, West Ham, Arsenal and Spurs. I don't think any Wolves. of those four teams, yeah, maybe Wolves as well. I think I don't we're behind know Wolves, Wolves on, um, on points per game. Uh, do they have loads of games in hand on us as well? Yeah, so I think, I mean, just to, given that we've lost... Well, it feels like we've lost. We've drawn two games, lost one on, on penalties. We should probably end on a slightly more negative note than the positive we've <laughs> been having. But yeah, I think points per game, we're, we're eighth or something um, because of those games in hand. But as you point out, the, the key here is to get the points on the board and put yourself in that commanding fourth spot, um, which we would do with two wins against Southampton and Brighton. I think the big thing, A, a we need to finish our chances. B, we need to get a little bit of luck and C, the thing Ranick will really be emphasising and if there's time be working on the training ground is is in transitions which he said he said a lot in press conferences already that this team's too weak on the transition and that's what we saw against Borough and Burnley was uh, yes the goals had individual mistakes but they came from yeah. a whole collection of mistakes and committing too many forward and people not being in the right positions back so that's what we need to fix really if we're going to win the two Yeah I think that'll be what's worked and I think Ranick will be disappointed that the, the improvements that we seem to have made defensively have sort of come unstuck a little bit in the last couple of games against Burnley and, and Middlesbrough. There were other other occasions in the game where we looked a little bit vulnerable as well. So I think he'll want to tighten that up. But, you know, ultimately, I think the message will be 
a lot of the same, but let's, you know, tighten up the finishing and hope that some luck goes our way. Cause you know, we, we should have put the games to bed to a point where the bad luck didn't matter, but you know, we have had a lot go against us in the last couple of games. Yep. Okay. Uh, patrons, I'm afraid there's no bonus Q and A this week, just because I'm about to run off to Old Trafford for the FA Youth Cup game, fifth round game against Everton. United have beaten Scunthorpe and Reading already. Should be exciting. Uh, sold out in terms of tickets. They just sell 5,000 for these games, but all 5,000 are sold, so should be okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, check out the result for that wherever you'd like to. Should be exciting. And then, yeah, two big games coming up and a big one for the women as well who were playing City at the weekend I think on Sunday uh, I can't remember was it Saturday th- Sunday I think on Sunday at least sports footage so if you want to go check that out on Sunday then definitely do it'll be a great atmosphere and, and should be a really good game United and City competing for those top three spots in United doing better at the moment um, Jack for your thoughts on the Southampton game and the Brighton game and on the dropping of Stuart Ward and Jimmy Anderson from the uh, England <laughs> test squad where can people find you on Twitter you can find me at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.